Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generation with skills to lead in real life. And today we're talking about a really important subject. In fact, it's sort of based on one of our habitudes, thermostat and thermometer. And it's a really interesting take and a, a, a thing we need to remember about the power of listening before you lead. Yeah. And you talk about that a lot. Yeah, so the metaphor's great, but um, this, the, the research that I've been doing recently, I stumbled onto, and I've been fascinated by it. Yeah. But um, way, way, way back uh, in the 1930s, the very first patent for an instant cake mix was received by a guy named John Duff. He worked for P. Duff and Sons. I think he was a son. Yeah. So he got a patent for this instant cake mix. Now, up until that point, all cakes, chocolate, white cake, whatever, was all made from scratch. Yep. So fresh eggs, fresh flour, fresh milk. Well, you know, he's got this powder thing, you know, going on. Yeah. Well, he started selling it thinking, this is going to be awesome. But it didn't sell. This was mm-hmm. 1933. So he thought, well, we're in a Great Depression. And Maybe they did know it the was reason. an economic yeah. down. That must be the reason. Yeah. Fast forward about 15 years. 1947, um, General Mills who has a brand called Betty Crocker. Betty Crocker's still around. I'm, so is General Mills. Yep, yep. They came up with their own instant cake mix and thought, well, you know what? The Great Dep- De- Depression's over. World War II is over. People are going to buy this now for sure. Yeah. They put it on the shelf, and it didn't sell. Yeah. And they thought, this is odd. Society is moving towards speed and convenience. Surely an instant cake mix would be the first thing a woman would buy. You know, a housewife would buy. But she didn't. And so here's what Betty Crocker, the Betty Crocker brand decided to do that I thought was brilliant. They hired a psychologist by the name of Ernest Decker, who, by the way, is the father of the modern focus group. Yeah. He's very first focus group guy who began to sit down with their potential customers that weren't buying, and he began to ask them, why aren't you buying this mix? It's instant. It's easy. It's yeah. quick. You know? It made sense in the boardroom. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. But not the kitchen. Yeah. And you know what he found out after talking to many, many, many potential customers? He found something out that he went back and reported to the Betty Crocker executives. And here's what it was. He said, the customers are saying, we don't feel like this is our cake. Yeah. You're doing too It's all a p- add water and stir. You yeah. know, I mean, what's that? That's, I don't feel like I really did anything. So they didn't feel ownership. And so Ernest P. Decker actually advised the Betty Crocker people, just remove one ingredient from the mix and make the customer put it in themselves. Yep. And what they took out, you probably know this, was the eggs. Yep. You add eggs and water and stir. And the sales took off. Yeah. Over the next 10 years, sales tripled. No, I'm, not, I'm sorry, two years. Sales tri- it was just crazy. But the point was they had to stop with their assumptions and all the push they were putting on and had to listen. And once they listened, they found out why it wasn't being bought. And by the way, there's a couple of lessons. Any teacher that might be listening, maybe we're doing too much for the students. Maybe we need to, maybe they need let, to do, something let, let them do something themselves. But it's clearly a picture of a leader saying, maybe we ought to stop and listen before we sell. And they got their answer. And we might be thinking, what is this most basic concept in the world? Listen to people, right? Yeah. yeah. And yet, 
we have to say that it just feels like it does not happen. It didn't happen in the 1940s, and it feels like yeah. it doesn't happen today. Far too often, we're so sure in the boardroom yeah. or in the classroom or in our lesson planning room that we know exactly what people want. But it's often be, the problem occurs because we haven't taken the time to listen before we leave. No doubt, and I'm the, as guilty as anybody, assuming I got the answer. I, 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 you know, I make assumptions. Yeah. So I've been since 1990, probably. Gosh, that be 30 plus years now, I've been using this metaphor, as many have used this metaphor, thermostat and thermometer. Yes. Uh, basic difference, we all know, but, but, but it's now become one of our habitudes, as you mentioned. Uh, habitudes are images that form leadership habits and attitudes. This is all about being a good leader, but we want to underscore the fact that inside of every thermostat is a thermometer. So real quick, the, the difference between the two, everybody knows. Thermometers simply tell you what the temperature is. Yep. Okay? These are the people who simply reflect the social climates in which they live. Yep. The thermostat actually sets the temperature. And these, of course, are the people who influence social climates in which they live. Okay. Now, obviously, we're all doing both all the time. Yep. But isn't it true? You look at a group of people and you go... He's the thermostat. She's the thermostat. She's a, yep. They're pretty much just going with the flow. They're yep. going, that, that's the thermometer. Yep. Or you've been in a room and somebody walks in and the temperature changes almost immediately. That's so you know, true. That's a person of influence, right? Yeah. And it, even when they just walk into a room, you can feel it change. That's exactly right. So, Andrew, I'll never forget among the earliest times I was teaching our habitude, thermostats and thermometers, to a group of high school students. Okay. I'm in the room, and I've just waxed eloquent. I thought I did a pretty good job, you know, just explaining this great concept, you know, thermostats, you know, thermometers. One high school student, a male, raised his hand. I think he was a junior in high school, raised his hand and said, Dr. Elmore, I just had a thought. And he went on to say, inside of every thermostat is a thermometer. Yeah. So it knows whether to adjust the temperature downward or upward. Yes. And it's really true. In that gizmo, that box that's on your wall... It knows when you move the lever what to do because it can read the temperature before it leads the temperature. Yeah. And so we've used this phrase over and over and over. But I, I thought to myself, I don't think I've ever taught a habit to it, but what I've learned something from the audience, yes. even if it's a teenager. Yeah. And I really believe he was onto something. He was simply underscoring, hey, everybody in the room, including Dr. Elmore, <laughs> be sure you listen first. Yeah. You know, soak it in. That way you've got wisdom when you when you say something. Yeah. So um, I've used two phrases, Andrew, and if you don't mind, I want to just share Please, real quick, yeah. and I'd love to get your input or feedback on them. One is uh, a phrase I've come to love, context explains conduct. Yes. Context explains conduct. Meaning, if someone's behaving in a certain way and I just don't understand it, I can get mad. Yeah. Or I can get busy listening. And usually once I understand the context of why they're acting that way or why they did that, maybe they just had been sick yesterday or they just lost their aunt, aunt or their grandma you know, to a tragic accident, all kinds of understanding comes my way. But i got to learn the context before I understand the conduct. Absolutely. The other little phrase I use for my own <coughs> benefit is stories inform strategies. Mm. If I don't understand what's going on, I need to read before I lead. If I hear their story, it will inform my strategy. Absolutely. Let me say it again, listeners. If I hear their story, it informs my strategy. I just am going to be wiser. Mm. And I know this seems so simple. You're probably feeling like I'm insulting your intelligence. I don't mean to, but don't we fail? Especially if you're a strong leader. You're headstrong, stubborn, you know, 
we're going to do this, you know, yeah. and come on, you know. So anyway, I just feel like those two statements have been helpful to me. Yeah, it's really helpful to me because when I've, I've taught this habitude many times, not quite as many as you have, um, but as I think back to the times I taught it, one of the things I'll point out is you might be in a room one day and you realize it's too cold in here. We're not excited enough. We're not energized enough. And we need to raise the temperature. Yeah. Or you're maybe in another room where it's too hot. Everybody's yeah. angry and upset and you realize you need to lower the temperature. Well, the way to raise the temperature or lower the temperature, step one, has to be taking the temperature. That's right. Why are we angry? Yeah. Why yeah. are we not motivated? Yeah. And oftentimes there's context mm -hmm. for that situation or there's a story yeah. that's not being told. And so step one has always got to be, am I listening to why we got there yeah. so I can help... Uh, ultimately change the temperature, but often we don't think about that the first step of leadership and influence is taking the temperature of the people around you and asking, how did we get here? What am I missing? What context do I not have? It's such an important step. You know, nobody does this better than counselors and therapists yeah. because they're trained to listen and then advise. Um, doctors are trained to put a stethoscope up to the heartbeat before they prescribe wouldn't it be great for us to, <laughs> to learn the same lesson? Yes. So I'm going to insert a real quick story, Andrew, that we didn't plan on, but I just was reminded of it. Um, my daughter, Bethany, is a counselor, and um, she was telling me years ago in her first year in her practice when she was getting her residency and getting her hours, she said one of her colleagues met with a family whose son, little boy, five years old, was just acting out crazy, just like running around, screaming around the house. And sometimes five-year-olds do that, but sometimes yeah. when it's obsessive, they go, what is wrong with you? But they started noticing every time they had planned to go out, he just went berserk. Mm. And then they started noticing he would scream and then hide. Mm. And then eventually he started hiding in the bathroom, locking the door as a five-year-old. And when he would come out, he had wiped some of his own poop on his arms. Mm. And that's when his parents thought, oh my gosh, something, something is yeah. wrong with our child. And they took him into the therapist. In, by the end of the very first session, after this counselor had had the parents step out of the room so she could just talk just for a few minutes alone with this little boy, she had the parents come back in and she said, your son's not weird at all. And she began to explain what she discovered. And it's a, it's a bit tragic, listeners, so brace yourself. This little boy was screaming, hiding, and rubbing poop on his arms because whenever this family had gone to visit their uncle, extended family, this little boy was being abused. Mm. And so he thought to himself, the only way I can keep my uncle from touching me is to rub my poop on Actually, he was quite smart. Yeah. Now, what we need to do is deal with Uncle, yeah. Uncle Henry. Yeah. But the point is... Context yeah. explains context. Yeah, instead of what's wrong with this kid, it's what's what's the situation that's affecting. And hearing us. his story informs my strategy, and they mm. worked a great strategy. Yeah. So we're we're talking about being intuitive. We're talking about the art of listening. But if we'll master this, we're going to be much better leaders. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you actually read of a story, a really fantastic example of yeah. this, of the power of knowing the context uh, from a, a, a woman called named Erin Meyer, who talked about this concept of reading the air. I yeah. love that term. I do too. Will you break it down for us and just yeah. talk about that experience? So, um, Erin Meyer is a cultural expert and author. She's quite smart. Uh, and she uses this term, reading the air. And it's exactly what we're talking about. So the episode that she talks about as an example of her learning to read the air 
was she described a time when she spoke to a group of executives, business leaders mm-hmm. in Japan. And she's American, correct? She's American. Yeah. She's living in France, but she's definitely American. But she's in a definitely foreign culture. Okay, yes. So she's with Japanese leaders. Uh, when she finished her speech, she asked if there were any questions. And after waiting in silence for a couple of minutes, she smiled and said, okay, if there are no questions, I'll close out the session. And with that, she walked to the side of the room. Now, fortunately for her, um, she had a colleague who was Japanese and said, why'd you stop? There were some questions that needed to be answered. And she said, no, there weren't. I just asked. And I waited a minute and there weren't any questions. And he said, "Uh, you missed the cues. In other words, you weren't reading the air. He said, let me try. And Aaron Meyer watched her colleague go back out. He walked to the front of the room, smiled, and asked again, does anyone have any questions? And a few looked up at him, and then he began calling on them one by one to ask their questions. No hands being raised, right? Nope, nope, no hands. Yeah. And Aaron, of course, was baffled at this point. This, you know, I, I, I don't understand. And later she inquired, how did you know there were people who had questions? And he replied, their eyes were bright. Because he understood the culture, he knew they're not going to raise their hand like Americans do and start yeah, shouting. That's I an got American this great thing. thought here. You yeah, know? exactly. They were just looking up, and their eyes. And you see this in audiences when you do Q and A. Yeah. Sometimes people are not so forward to say, "I, I want to raise my hand," but but you know they're sitting on a question, and their eye to eye contact with you lets you know, "I think you've got something to say." So quickly, I mean, there were like four or five or six questions, and, yeah. and it went on another fifteen minutes. And Aaron said, this was reading the era, and it was an art form that I needed to learn. So mm. I think we need to learn this, and this is what mean, this is what we mean when we say every thermometer, th- uh, thermostat has a thermometer inside. So we want to get really practical now. Yeah. Um, obviously, we've given a lot of great examples. Everybody's probably nodding yeah, their heads yeah. at this point. We get it, right? Yeah. But the, I think the, the question now becomes, how do we do this? Both how do we, as the leader, maybe we're in a classroom or we're working with our uh, kids, or maybe we're a coach in a, in a locker room. How do we practice this? But also, how do we help our students start to practice this? There's probably one or two students every listener is thinking of right now Yeah, who's thinking through, uh, how do I get that student to pick up on the context? They seem to be always missing context when they make a comment or they uh, do something outlandish. So let's talk about what's some practical advice yeah. that we can follow. Yeah. So since Generation Z, the kids today uh, kids today, kids today. Um, are um, growing up in a world where they might be better at looking at a screen than maybe even reading yeah. social cues from yep. a real face. Yep. Maybe. Yep. Uh, we need to teach this. Absolutely. And we need to learn this first. So let me just throw out a handful of ideas. If you're a teacher in a classroom, a coach with a team, an employer with a group of young people, and you want to model this and teach this, I've got a few very doable steps you can practice right after this podcast is over. Awesome. Let's try first one. First one is this. Pause and observe faces before you speak. Mm. So instead of jumping right into this great thought that you've got, I'm sure it's a great thought, but we just do better if we read before we lead. So just look at the faces, see if you see any signals that they're sending. They're tired, they're uh, frustrated, they're impatient, they're worn out, they want to go, they want to stay. All those are just important, and I think that can inform our approach. I love it. Number two, don't assume your best talk is your best talk in the moment. Yeah. So sometimes we have these little framed speeches. Didn't our mom and dad both have phrases and talks they did? Yeah. I have phrases and talks I use Just with a kids. couple. That's right, just a couple. Yeah. I realized later my most relevant words may not be what I thought my most relevant words. It's yeah. not my best talk. Yeah. It's, it's the best talk for the moment. And yeah. it may not be an eloquent speech, 
but it's a timely speech. So I think we need to scrap the prescribed or rehearsed things we have in our mind and make sure it's the right word at the right time. Yeah, I love that. Here's another one. Remember that timing is everything. Um, We all know this, I think, but a good decision at the wrong time may get no better results than a bad decision at the right time. Yeah. So just know timing is going to be right. Sometimes I've had to do this. I bet you have. You you know what needs to be done, but you just wait and go, you know what? In about five minutes, you're going to be ready for this. They're not ready right now. Yep. Let's let them kind of wander a little bit or, or whatever talk it through, and maybe they'll even come up with the conclusion. Absolutely. Let the dust settle. Let them process. Yeah, that's great. Number four, listen first and control your emotions. Mm. Sometimes we're screaming and we haven't said a word. It's because our face is screaming. You... You know me. I'm very emotive, Andrew. I, I know that's shocking to all listeners now. <laughs> but um, you don't have to worry, wonder what I'm... But I, I send off signals I don't mean to send off that actually shuts people, and I don't mean to. So I'm going to just uh, tell you what I'm trying to do myself. Listen first and control your emotions. Always listen and digest before you issue any comments. While listening, be sure to manage those signals that you might be unintentionally sending. Mm, that's so important. Yeah. yeah, so important. Love it. Number five. If possible, inquire about the situation first. So before you go into a group that you know you're going to address, what if you're able to pull somebody aside and say, what's been going on? Yeah. You and I, when we travel and speak, we'll yep. try to get with people before we ever go on the stage. What's been happening? I think it, I think it might have been you that just uh, somebody had just committed su- or completed suicide. Yep. And you thought, boy, does that inform my tone Absolutely. now. Yep. So we've just got to uh, inquire if possible before we... We say anything first. Get a, a, a minute, a one-on-one with somebody. Uh, number six, limit your words and ask questions. Now, this is what I need to practice, what I preach, <laughs> but um, I just know more than ever before in my life right now, leading with questions is the best way to lead. Yeah. Um, it is, because you help people maybe draw the conclusion that you would have imposed on them, and they get the answer themselves. Yeah. So um, the best response may not be a lot of words. Sometimes it's less words and more of them talking until they get there. This is getting the right people and then trusting the people you've got around you. That's exactly right. And then the last one I would share, all these are intuitive, but number seven, don't think lecture, think respond. Mm. So what I mean by this is always see yourself as a first responder. Don't Uh, we celebrate first responders? Why? Because they're taking care of exactly what needs to be done in that moment. Leaders... You're a first responder. So I don't know if it's emotional, physical, intellectual. I don't know. But we're first responders because we're in the front of the class, yeah. hope, hopefully guiding. So we're first responders to the situation you find yourself in with the students, and this just works best. I love that because you're influencing the most urgent need, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and it's the most emergent emotional need in the moment. You recognize there's a problem over there, and I need to speak to that first. Yeah. Or else I'm not going to be heard for the rest of the things I want to yeah, say. Yeah. And I think it, it, it's one really great lesson about leadership, and it's a version or a, a really a specific uh, element of reading before you lead. I love that. One of the best thermostats, at least in my lifetime, I believe, after looking and reading, and looking at footage of his life and reading, uh, is Dr. Martin Luther King. Yeah. And the prime day I'm talking about was August 1963, yeah. when he made that famous speech, I Have a Dream. Now, what listeners may or may not know is what was behind that speech. So he took up to the podium that day an 11-minute manuscript 
that he was going to give as the final speaker of the day. Well, that was not a good place to be. Quite a tall order. You know, yeah. nine, nine speakers ahead of him, all of which had great sermons, if yep. you will. Now he's the last one. It's hot. It's yep. August. It's in Washington, D.C. I'm the last one up. So he makes it through his written speech, looks up, and he can tell the divine aha has not happened. He's reading the, the air. Yeah. He's reading the air. The epiphanies have not, and their faces are showing him. Yeah. I, I, I'm not, and it wasn't that he was looking for them to start dancing around, marching, yelling, but he could just tell, I didn't reach the, the, the climax that I wanted to reach. So if you watch the footage, he looks up from the notes, pushes them aside, and that 11-minute speech turned into a 17-and-a-half-minute speech. Yeah. The last six-and-a-half minutes were really extemporaneous from within. Now, granted, a lot of learning in there. From, from from a doctorate and a master's yep. degree and a, yep. and a bachelor's degree. But one of the people in the audience shouted out to him, tell him about your dream, Martin. Mm-hmm. And I suddenly thought she was referring to something he had alluded to in Detroit, Michigan earlier. And that's when he began to say, I have a dream that one day my four little children will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. Well, you know, he said that over and over and over. We now call it the I have a dream speech. Yep. But it was because he read the crowd before he led the crowd. He was a thermometer. And then, boy, did he become a thermostat for that civil rights movement. Yes. Powerful. Absolutely. It's so funny to me that we call it the I have a dream speech, but the manuscript he walked up with that day did not have those words on it whatsoever, right? If he had not been a thermometer and then a thermostat, we would have missed out on that moment. And think about how many leadership moments down through history were actually defined by not what was planned to happen, but what a great leader recognized needed to happen in the moment. And that's simply what we're asking both of ourselves, but also hopefully training in our students as well. No doubt. Well, to close out, you, um, you and I were talking about a story that uh, you came across years ago, I think, yeah. uh, but is such a prime example of both leading and being led. Yeah, it's so And true. is a beautiful example uh, uh, all, all the same. So do you want to walk us through that? Yeah, it was two individuals who played both the thermostat and the thermometer part. So everyone listening has heard the name Helen Keller. Yes. She was that very famous blind, deaf, and dumb girl. Uh, horrible language we used to use, but she just had no capacity to have a normal life. And Annie Sullivan was brought in by her family to be a counselor, coach, and, and teacher for Helen. Well, it was atrocious. First of all, think about it. You're teaching a student that can't hear you, can't see you, is is mute. It just it was a hard situation. Yeah. But Annie spent years with Helen until she brought her to a place where she could read, Mm. And she could interact and interface with others, and it was amazing. That story, there's been movies made about it and yeah. stories written about it. Yeah. Powerful. The story that's not been told as often as it should was later in Annie Sullivan's life, she became blind. Huh. And many people don't know. This is emotional. Helen Keller came in. And was her teacher. <laughs> so the thermometer became the thermostat. And the thermostat became the thermometer. Yeah. She had learned so well that she was able to say, I can help you now. Yeah, here's how to navigate the world. Andrew, I don't know if everybody agrees with this. I think that's what life's about. Yeah. So we just say to you listeners, be both thermostat and thermometer. Be a thermostat. But remember, part of that journey is being a thermometer as well. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you, Tim, so much. Thank you guys uh, for tuning in. Um, I think you've probably heard us at Growing Leaders talk about this um, before, but when we think about what it takes to be a leader, obviously we have this, uh, this habitude we call thermostat and thermometer. Um, it is actually one of the habitudes. It's a part of our habitudes for social and emotional learning program. It's a really great habitude. Uh, as you can see that talks all about our own influence, how we impact other people and how we process our place in the world. If you have found this habitude thermostat and thermometer to be helpful and you want to teach other ones just like it, I would recommend this program to you. Habitudes are simply images that form leadership habits and attitudes. And just like the metaphor of a thermostat and a thermometer, we have tons of other metaphors that teach life skills that students desperately need uh, today, and especially in the 21st century. And so if you're looking for a program or a curriculum that can help you have conversations just like the one we had here today, uh, I want to recommend this program to you. So all you got to do is go to growingleaders.com SEL, and you can find out all about our Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning program. We have a middle school edition, which just launched this year. We're really excited about it. And we also have a high school edition that's really fantastic. Uh, so between those two, we've got seven years of curriculum that you can use to teach these life skills to your students. So if you head on over to growingleaders.com SEL, you can find out more about it, uh, check out the program yourself, and actually get a free sample to begin looking at to start imagining what this program would look like. But it's all digital through a pro platform we call Habitudes Online. That's really fantastic. So go on over to growingleaders.com slash SEL and check that out today. As always, if you would rate this podcast and get give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, that would be so helpful to us. If you found this one helpful and you want to share it with a friend, we invite you to do that as well. Pass it along to somebody you know who you think might find it useful. Uh, if you want to connect with us online uh, on social media, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore pretty much everywhere you are. And then finally, if you've got ideas for this podcast, maybe an article you came across that you want us to check out or somebody you want us to interview, uh, we would love for you to shoot us an email email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those from you. Tim, thank you so much for leading us today and giving us some wisdom. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time. Woo